you are cordially invited to the manor in the woods, where an evening of discussion is being held by the O'Brien siblings. Catherine, the encyclopedia, Carolyn, the bookworm, Madeline, the wild card, and Mackenzie, the eclectic. Join them in the study where there will be talk of murder, robbery, deception, and conveniently cloaked figures. So get cozy, pour yourself a cuppa, and join us for mostly murder. But sometimes not. Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mostly Murder, But Sometimes Not. I am your host for this episode, Mac O'Brien, and with me as always are my three lovely sisters. I'm Katie. I'm Carrie. I'm Maddie. And this episode, we watched the 1986 film, The Great Mouse Detective, from Disney Feature Animation. Originally based on the book series Basil of Baker Street, which were themselves based off of the Sherlock Holmes series, the story follows the first case shared between Basil and his new associate, Dr. David Dawson. Dr. Dawson narrates the story as he returns from the Mouse War in Afghanistan. Upon returning, he encounters a lost girl named Olivia, whose toymaker father was kidnapped, seeking out the legendary detective, Basil of Baker Street. Taking an interest, Dawson sees her to Baker Street, where Basil seems disinterested in her case until he learns the thug who did the kidnapping resembles a lackey of his nemesis, Professor Rattigan. While Rattigan delights in his plans to delights in his plans and sends the thug Fidget, a peg-legged bat, out to get more supplies, Basil and company ride a bloodhound whose nose leads them to a full-size human toy store. There, they discover missing toy components and royal guard uniforms, but become disheartened when Fidget kidnaps Olivia as collateral against her father. Basil picks up the trail, thanks to some evidence left behind, leading them to go undercover on the seedy side of town. There, they fall into a trap set by Radigan, where he leaves them to die as he sets out with his plan to replace the Queen of All Maustum with a robot designed and crafted by Olivia's toymaker father. Using their wits to escape the trap, Basil and Dawson interrupt Radigan's takeover, save the queen, and begin a balloon chase that leads to a final confrontation between Basil and Radigan in the clockwork gears of Big Ben. In the end, Radigan falls, and Basil uses his wits to survive, and a friendship between the two men is kindled. Hot. All right. So, has everybody seen this movie? Yes. Yes. Often. It was, it, it did feel kind of like coming back home. I actually, caveat, when is the last time you saw this movie? Probably as Earlier a child. this year. Uh, like 10 years ago, maybe? I really don't know. 15, 20? Okay. Mac, you said earlier this year. Yeah, I'm currently running a D&D thing with a bunch of mice and tiny people as characters, so I figured this would be some nice inspiration. That's and honestly, true. I did yeah. I did like the way that they used the world around them as sort of scaled down version of Victorian England. It's a bit strange to like zoom in on a camera on Victorian London and then keep zooming in on a perfect like to scale toy shop set into the curb of a different building. I love like that. I, I know that I know that we don't generally look down a lot as people, but th- that would probably be noticeable. I was gonna wait to get into this, but now that you've mentioned it, I feel like it's definitely a thing in children's books to have tiny animals like doing things and stuff. But I feel like the eighties were a very specific time of like mice and tiny animals living within the 
human world, but in the tiny corners of it, like the rescuers and American Tale and the borrowers. Once, the borrowers, I think, was the, the rescuers thing, and yeah, the rats of Nim. And so that might exactly. be nineties. Ooh, and even it, things like did you say an American Tale? I did say an American sure Tale. Did. Okay. And an American Tale Five Goes West. If you want to count the sequel, I do. No thanks. We can. I've never but seen like, it. I, you've never seen the Australian one. The Five Goes West. Oh, sorry. I was no, that's Rescuers. Rescuers Down Under. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> yeah, seen Five Rescuers Goes Down West. Under. <laughs> um, an American Tale Five Goes West is Jimmy Stewart's final role. I know. <laughs> Which is what really, he's the voice oh. of a dog, a dog sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know what? Yeah, you... <laughs> I bet he had fun doing it. I mean, I honestly, did. yeah. When you're that age, it's kind of probably fun to do just voices. But Mac, anyway, yes. I love it. There's actually, I haven't seen it myself, but there's um somewhere in Boston in like a little interstitial way, like between buildings or something. There's a tiny little um, art installation that's supposed to look like kind of these, like m- like mice inhabited buildings. Places inhabited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like using There's... bottle caps for plates and shit like that. No, it's legitimately like um like a magazine store or maybe a bookstore or something. I think, um, but it's like mouse size and it's fully equipped like fully like built out but like a working cash register i mean maybe i I haven't been inside if there's no working (laughs) cash register i'm not fucking interested i haven't seen it in person but i've seen it on instagram i will find maddie knows the true purpose of the bookstore which is obviously making capitalism (laughs) Um, capitalism for mice uh she they she watched the fight between Fox Books and the shop around the corners and she know who she knows who won. You know, yeah. And Bummer. also, um God, I had a thought. I had a good thought and it totally was like Is it about Ann Arbor? No. <laughs> Is it about bookstores? Is it about capitalism? Capitalism. Is it about mice. <laughs> I was talking about mice capitalism, but let's talk about mice monarchy. Okay. Wait, one second, Maddie. Have you never seen the fairy doors in Ann Arbor? Uh, yeah, they're all over. Okay. But they're well, not like that... a, a working thing. They don't work and there's no money involved. So not interested. I told you. <laughs> wow. Okay. No cash registers. Okay, fine. Mouse monarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into yeah. it. There is the strange implication. They, they try to make a one-to-one comparison between this and Sherlock Holmes. But I I, I briefly kind of jokingly mentioned on it. It's strange that Dawson is back from a war in Afghanistan, implying that there are mice fighting other mice in other countries based on cultural divide. Because the actual Watson fought in the Second Afghan War. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that, that aspect of translation was interesting. Especially because... That... Go ahead. No, just... You go. No... I was just going to say, especially because traveling as a mouse probably takes a hundred times as long as traveling as a human. So between Afghanistan and London, I mean, Maddie would know. No, 
I was just going to say that um, a mouse can get on to whatever um, transport a human can get on. You know what? You're absolutely right. The first time we see him, he's literally on a, a handsome cab carriage thing. So it could take the exact same amount of time, especially if he was in a man's pocket. True, Aww. but that also creates a secondary question to bring about, and that is this movie brings up the concept that mice take on personality traits of the people whose houses they're in. Yeah. Like, the queen of all mouse dump lives in Buckingham Palace and is the queen of all the mice. Basil of Baker Street lives in Sherlock Holmes's house. Dawson, I presume, was in Watson's carriage on his way over here. Which, I... My mouse must just be so stressed. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so bad for him. Yeah. (laughs) That was what I was going to say, is that you, there's these correlations between Basil and Sherlock that are like the one-to-one correlations. But then there's also the one-to-one correlations between the mice lives and the human lives. So, like, does that mean that the mice are fighting in Afghanistan for the exact same reasons that the humans were fighting Right? The mice would have to have their own political systems, their own cultures, their own structures. What is it? Are there, is there a mouse church? What does it mean to be a mouse that believes in God when there's literally <laughs> giant versions of creatures doing the exact same thing? Maybe that's mouse lifestyle. Maybe they're deifying humans and trying to imitate them. Ooh. What if God was one of us? <laughs> oh my God. Well, mouse <laughs> philosophy at its finest. I love it. I mean, uh, Basil can summon Toby, the bloodhound. That's basically just like one man being able to control a kaiju. He said that he trained Toby. And I was like, I don't know if this is true. I want to be in that room when that happens. Right? Tim pointed out that um, Basil could literally kill anyone. Like, he has a war beast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, just like He could just eat Radigan. Yeah. I know, yeah. but that's what Radigan does. Radigan's got a war beast. Yeah. Yes. And Radigan uses it, you know, it to its to full advantage. To literally kill someone. <laughs> yeah. Someone Which, literally is. That scene, <laughs> I feel like, is very. It's so suspenseful. It's terrifying. And yeah. then yeah. the. So, like, the cat eats one of Radigan's henchmen because Radigan's like. You made me mad. You called me a rat, and I'm clearly a mouse. And uh, so he feeds his henchman to his cat, and it slowly like comes up, and uh, the mouse has no idea what's coming for it. So it's just Super like drunk. kind of creeping up. Yeah, it's like you a just horror see, like, movie. The shadow. Yeah, the fact that it's in the middle of one of this movie's three musical numbers. And they have to, like, <laughs> cut all music immediately. And then, like, this tiny little bell, the dawning horror, just... That, There's a lot of stuff... This- the other henchman cried. Bell- <laughs> it was yeah. traumatic. It was <laughs> this really movie upsetting. Has a- this movie has a weird balance between, like, visceral horror of being a mouse in a human's world and also the whimsy of being a mouse in the human world. Because Fidget's a good example of this one because we start this movie off with one of the scariest kidnapping scenes in children's animation yeah. ever. Like, a sharp-toothed bat creature. 
hobbles into the building and steals a young girl's father away from him. But then later on in the movie, that same bat is like the fuck up henchman of the main bad guy who wears a baby bassinet and uses toys to distract the detectives. This is just another instance of bats being a villain, which is justifying my fear of bats forever. Because I saw this, I saw the Swan Princess as a young child, and then there were actual <laughs> literal bats that would invade our home. So, yes, bats bad forever. What about Bartok? He's the only Although one. He was but... a white bat, so he's supposed to be <laughs> oh my it, God. good. It came Anastasia out came out later. later, too. Carrie, I feel like and he might have been older when that came out. Yeah. What about Ferngully? He still scared me. I know he was nice, and he was bat, Robin Williams. Bats are complicated creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, but I, I need to say something I, about Felicia. I, like yes. th- I was, I was genuinely upset when, cause, cause I forgot like upon the reveal of Felicia, because I didn't clock this obviously when I was younger, but they're super fat phobic in this movie. Like this, like terrible villain who uses like what a fat cat to eat people and then she's like supposed to epitomize the terror of all the mice and then later on fidget says to the queen that she weighs a ton yeah not cool okay i want i'm shocked that's the one problematic thing in this movie from the (laughs) 80s no i know i watched this movie a couple years ago as part of my i'm watching every theatrical animated disney movie thing Mm -hmm. and it, I think it, because I was watching it as I was working, it didn't, I didn't fully clock it. So watching it with a more critical eye, Carrie, I was literally like, wow. Like, you always hear how they villainize, like, fat people in movies. It's like, they're villains, they're lazy, they're like, fat equals bad in so many things. And it, a lot of it is in Disney movies. Like, yeah. I was thinking of, I mean, there's lots of them, like Even Ursula, Ursula and yeah. Madame Min and like, I don't know. It's just, they're either very skeletal or they're very large, like the Sheriff of Nottingham, although he kind of looks like John, you know, but it's just like, yeah. this made it so lumbering and so over the top for this cat, like just the way that she was drawn. Yeah. I was literally like, I don't like this at all. Immediately. It's like an immediate reaction. You're like, wow, okay. This bad evil cat is obviously like the correlation that you pointed out. And then yeah. but then another aspect is Dawson. Dawson is larger, but he's yeah. like fumbly and silly. You know, he's the comedic relief. Okay. I have a question for Mac. Yes. I don't know if you did any research. Because this, <laughs> I don't know Max your upset. life, dude. <laughs> I don't think you understand how much research I put into this thing. Oh. Okay, I've never really looked into the Basil of Baker Street books. And I want to know this movie, how much of it is inspired by the mythos of Sherlock Holmes versus the actual books of Sherlock Holmes versus the books of Basil of Baker Street. Because, Carrie, clearly... Dawson is based on the Nigel Bruce Watson from the 40s, who's supposed mm-hmm. to be comic relief, bigger, bumblier, which Bubbly. does make it weird that he's literally just returned from war and he's like a round thing. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, he's so clearly 
the fumbly Watson, not the like, you know that Kate Beaton comic. I feel like we've talked about it before. Yes, it's like book Watson versus nine like movie fumble Watson versus like army surgeon Watson. Yeah, but Mac, do you know anything yes. about like the books of Basil of Baker Street? Uh, I only did a little bit of research and most of the stories that they had were either original to the series, uh, the original series written by Eve Titus and illustrated by Paul Galdoni. Uh, they were targeted at children, so likely they did have some of the like exaggerations they have for Watson. Okay. Uh, but the story in this movie was original to the movie. To the Right, okay. So they basically took the idea of like, hey, isn't it cool if Sherlock Holmes is a mouse? And then made it a Disney movie. Yes. They did have to postpone it a little bit because of uh, the Rescuers had recently come out. <laughs> Which is like the same. The same exact concept, thing. But yeah. Yeah, the it's 80s for Disney, man. Oh, can I get into this? Please do. So some people tout this is the movie that saved Disney. What? Which is a bit apocryphal, but not. Oh, Oh, I need to tell you about what's going on in Disney here in the 80s. Little Mermaid was the one that saved Disney. Little Mermaid was the beginning of the Disney Renaissance, but <laughs> but this so is So, quick quick quiz, Katie. What was the Disney movie that came out directly before this one? Oliver and Company? No. That's the one that came directly after this one. The Disney movie that came out directly before this one was The Black Cauldron. Oh, Ooh. I thought for you guys uh, who are not aware... I fell asleep during Black that Cauldron one. came out two years before this and is largely lauded as Disney's biggest flop. Ten years lauded, total development... <laughs> ten years development time, four years actually producing the damn thing, $40 million went into making it, and it, and it got a box office of only $21 million. Wow. I didn't know it was that bad. Let's not forget the fact that this is not the only uncertain aspect of Disney's life at this time. One, there was a recent shakeup and Disney's former CEO and kind of the body model of Radigan, a former uh, <laughs> linebacker named Ron, named Ron Miller, what? who was the, who was the CEO of Disney, but then got canned and was replaced by somebody who you might have heard of named Michael Eisner. Oh, Michael guy. Eisner, who was the former CEO of Paramount Pictures, who also brought along Jeffrey Katzenberg, who would later break off from the company to form DreamWorks. Uh, he established Jeffrey Katzenberg as the studio head and established a new vice president of Walt Disney Animation, uh, Peter Schneider. Uh, so there's a lot of leadership mix up here. Compare that to the fact that also a lot of old, old, like guard Disney animators were leaving at this time. Uh, cause originally there were the nine old men. That was the people who worked with Disney and established the new rules of animation. Then there are Disney veterans, the people who directly learned from the nine old men. Then the first generation and second generation. Right here, we've got a mixture of first and second generation people working on the movies. This would be like animators like Glenn Keane, people who famously brought in the Disney Renaissance. Yes, Katie? Isn't this also the time... So Disney died in 66. Disney died and in And so 66. now pretty much anyone who directly worked with him has now been retired. No. No. A lot of people who directly worked with him still are with the company. In fact, I'm pretty sure... 
one of the four directors this movie came with. We'll get yeah. into it. <laughs> like, Thank you. When I saw that is, a guy, is a guy named Bernie Mattinson, uh, who not only worked back then, but is still working at Disney now. What? He wow. was one of the producers on Ralph Breaks the Internet. <laughs> Maddie. I was going to say, there were certain points where I feel like it felt like there were different directors or different, I don't know, styles visions like maybe it was like just the animation but i feel like the clock scene had a very different feel to the rest of the movie specifically like it and the um the scene where felicia the cat i feel like i don't know if we ever said felicia and the cat are the same yeah um (laughs) and uh so like that scene and then the clock scene, I feel like have a very different tone from the rest of the movie. And also the Plus song did like, not slap. I was gonna <laughs> say the song well, I have disagree about the first one. Rat- the other two Radigan? Songs. I like the Radigan song. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I like... agree, Maddie, where it it does feel very disjointed as a whole. So the four directors thing makes sense, Mac. Uh, so the four directors thing was, okay, I'm, I'm also going to get into that. I still need to talk about all the problems the studio was having right about now. Very quickly, I'm not though. done. Okay. You sound like okay, me. Okay, so very quickly, very quickly, very quickly. All right, so they got the new leaders. Uh, you've got a bunch of old guard people leaving and new animators coming in that they're not entirely sure of. Uh, there's the $20 million flop they just recently had. And let's not forget, there's one more person that we haven't talked about, and that's Don fucking Bluth. One of the Disney veterans who broke off from the company, took 17% of all their animation staff and started his own animation company, whose films were regularly outperforming Disney at the time. You mentioned American Tale. That came out the same month The Great Mouse Detective did and outperformed it in the box office. Oh, no. So while all this stuff is happening, they're questioning whether they're even going to continue with Disney feature animation. They, they, uh, Little Mermaid was just a sparkle in somebody's eye at this point. There were only a couple of movies that were in development. (laughs) Uh, There were only a couple of movies in development at this point, and that was The Great Mouse Detective and uh, 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 Oliver Oliver and Company. If this movie had tanked, most people think the Disney Renaissance would not have happened. Disney would have gone out of feature-length animation, and the market would have been completely different. We wouldn't have had any of the Renaissance movies. No Little Mermaid, no Tarzan, no Hunchback of Notre Dame, no uh, uh, Aladdin, no Beauty and the Beast. I have been Lion having King. conversations with my friends lately about like sliding doors moments and like what yeah. the world in various aspects would be like yeah yeah, i actually i don't like michael eisner very much but i do think he i think it's mainly because he's focused on capitalism (laughs) so yeah but it's partly because mac he was trying to save the company and so he was like we gotta get money and so let's go back to where we were with the princesses let's get back to like the fairy tales and i do think obviously the hiring of like howard um ashman right and alan menken was like key in really developing he was like let's remember what we used to be and like modernize it almost but like what would the world be like if disney had failed at this point like there would be no Disney princesses. 
there would be no like like I don't know when exactly all of like the Disneylands around the world were all built. What? What would the culture well, be? I was right? just gonna exactly. say, Carrie, I think like, the Disney World, like the land parks, would be we more like a, and nothing against it, but like a Knott's Berry Farm, or like it would just it wouldn't be like the crazy thing that it is because I think at the time it was just because they, they also had just built Disneyland Paris, right? Like, okay, and so I then think, like think about everything Disney's done since then. They bought Lucasfilm. They bought marvel like they are like when you think of skynet in the terminator movies like google disney apple those are like the and amazon yes those are like the big skynet companies like if they ever merge to become one we are screwed like there is literally nothing we can do and it's all because of great mouse detective yes so if you (laughs) okay so okay so it's not that it's not that it's not that Disney would have been fine. They just wouldn't have made any of the feature animations because they were questioning how much these things cost and how much effort and talent had to go into them. But the Disney Renaissance is what gave them like the cultural cachet to become what they are now. Uh, not entirely. Uh, One of the main reasons why they uh, brought Michael Eisner disagree. and Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg in was because they were both money guys and they were both used to live action things. Disney had already diversified its portfolio at this point. They were a ubiquitous media company. What I'll say here is this. I don't think that the Disney Renaissance is immediately responsible for Disney's prevalence in media today. It's not entirely without blame, but... Okay, okay. Like, when uh, you go... Consider this. They haven't made a 2D Disney movie since Princess and the Frog. Okay. Yeah. That would have just happened earlier. If you go into any store today and look for supplies for life for young girls, Disney princesses are all over that shit. Like they, if you go anywhere like around the world, the Disney princesses and then the knockoffs of the Disney princesses are on everything like not even looking if you're only looking at like the the stuff since the renaissance there's Belle, there's ariel there's pocahontas there's jasmine there's like snow white and cinderella are before that so you can't really count them but like and then you get to elsa and anna yeah who i don't think would exist if the disney renaissance didn't happen because they wouldn't have done it Computer animation. Sure. Okay, I mean, they would have done computer that, animation, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like all of it but, would have happened, but I wonder if like the themes would be different. Yeah, or even if Disney would have been the leader in that, it could have been someone else being the lead. Like Pixar was doing. Don their... Bluth could have been the leader of yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. But like, anyway, Mac, let's talk about what's relevant to this movie in terms Just of one what's last thing. To this movie speaking. Of- Speaking of computer... Yes. The idolization of Disney princesses and, like, those narratives and how ingrained they are in the... in Western culture's little girls and, like, how we're all grown up, I Mm -hmm. feel like has had a significant detriment to our mental health 
And that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> Do you think it's... I'm. I'm so I... Did you... There's a really great documentary on Disney Plus about um, Howard Ashman, who was the writer of the lyrics. And he, we worked with Alan Menken on The Little Mermaid. And they talked about bringing back the I Want song. And it's the song that the heroine sings, like one third to one half of the way through the movie about what they want and it's something he was literally talking about speaking to little girls and speaking to women about like like vocalizing their wants and needs so it starts with part of your world like that's the first one that he kind of talks about and they do it in a lot of things they started with little shop because that's one of the first things they wrote together i think and it was somewhere that's green and he was like let's put that broadway thing because in broadway all these show like plays have this song and now every disney movie has something like that like let it go yeah and this yeah anyway that was a revolution and i part of it i do think although i like the songs in oliver and company it's definitely mainly because billy joel is cool <laughs> the fact that these songs yeah. in this were just felt weird and disjointed like yeah there was no Not cohesive. Great. Yeah. Didn't feel like the only good thing okay. about it. Like, I'm going to just drop a song in here because I need to have X amount of songs into this. Okay. Let me be good to you. Didn't need to be in there. Oh my God. On that one. That was so Goodbye disturbing. so soon. I mean, that's just a bad guy taunting the good guys. I don't even think it counts I like too that much one. because it's just the it was background. two and a half songs, really. I'm going to defend the world's greatest criminal mind because Vincent goddamn Price <laughs> yes. deserves a villain song yes. and nobody can take that away from that him. That is the only redeeming quality of that song. Great. Is but Vincent also, Price? Yeah. Radigan is so dramatic. I think I wrote Radigan <laughs> yes. as a drag queen. Yes. Okay. I wrote Radigan reason- is very animated in every sense of the word. I said, what are okay, we? He was... Like, he sets a God. trap for Basil, Wait. and he's like, he puts a whole welcome banner up and throws, like, a party and is like, I beat you. <laughs> he recorded Guys, a song. Yes. The reason he's that way is because of Vincent Price. I know. They rewrote the character oh, no, when I they saw him do a bunch of Shakespearean gestures in the, in, in the oh. voice recording booth. Oh, my God. They were just... They, so, as soon as they saw how broad and big Vincent Price was, they were like, the, his original design was he was supposed to be very quiet and skeletal and sinister. And the second Vincent Price showed up on set, they were like, okay, no, he has to be way bigger than oh this. Oh my God. So they basically took a linebacker and then turned him into Vincent Price. Yeah. They, t- like, they took the body of a linebacker and the and the vaudevillian sort of uh, like obsequiousness i guess of vincent price and turned it into radigan i love the villain. that that is so great because he was so large in everything he did absolutely like the thing when um in the throne room at the end when he's like saying like i'm gonna tax little children he's like leaning backwards <laughs> over the balcony so his face can get right in the kid's face maddie i love that you <laughs> called him a drag queen because he is yes like oh. In almost every sense of the he's word. Also, I mean, he's also a, a, a rat that's like, I don't think he's wants dressed like a mouse, mouse, but he it wants to be a mouse. And the he's thing telling is, everyone he's a mouse. 
Yeah. Does that mean there's a stigma against rats in this world? I said I so. I, there's like turtles and bats in the it. The rules very don't make sense. Rat phobic. <laughs> wow. Um, the rules don't make sense though because you've got rats that can talk, mice that can talk, lizards that can talk, but dogs and cats can't talk. Hmm. What's that about? You have to like Maybe be tiny. It has to. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be tiny, like a lizard. It correlates to your size. I don't. Like, s- yeah. Humans I don't talk. Cats, dogs don't talk. Mice, lizards, bats. Rats talk. talk. If your character okay. is um, small or large, uh, you cannot. Uh, you cannot speak. But then horses can't talk. No, uh, that is um, giant. Like, what are what are the sizes yeah. in D and D, Mac? Uh, okay, so there's tiny, small, okay. uh, medium, large, uh, huge. And I think, what, what was the colossal, I think was the last one? So basically anyone large and tiny can talk. Yeah, and everybody <laughs> but else. But everyone else. Fuck them. No. Hm. That's so funny. I, I, what if Toby realizes that talking is a thing he could do, but chooses not to because mo- the modern world is so stressful? I mean. If you could live as a dog. Yeah. Maddie, the other thing I wanted to mention, the R that Radigan puts on everything is like the tea that Trixie Mattel puts on everything. <laughs> like yeah. it's that fancy like on his um because balloon. The blimp reminded yeah. me of Trixie has like a cosmetics mirror that's the same exact pattern. It's just pink instead of red. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Mac, that is beautiful. Did you have anything very quickly to finish out with your Disney history? I know uh, you didn't get uh, to just finish. Two quick things. One, they had four directors, just so that way the job wouldn't be that difficult for any one director. Two, they cut the funding and the time it would take to produce this thing. It was ordinarily they do give them a funding from like twenty to thirty million dollars. They gave this thing the funding of ten million dollars and one year to finish. Keep in mind, the last movie had forty million dollars and ten years of pre-production and four years of actual production. So the fact that they got this thing done at all is insane Two, the clockwork scene that was the first specifically extensive use of cg in a disney movie mm. no i just want to say i i knew that and i'm excited scary and <laughs> it, it was, was cool okay, last... but yeah like that thing when olivia's in the cog and yeah. almost crushed she's gonna get smashed and you know what that scene starts out with almost no score which makes it really unnerving yes. And, it's, and then the it like score shows kicks the in later. It's like he's waking up and he's like, oh, what's going on? Where am I? And then it like pans around and it's Radigan is like standing there watching him. So he's like at disadvantage yeah. on the ground, just waking up and Radigan's menacing him, holding Olivia. And it's really more terrifying. Because, and I know this was a little rat phobic. But he starts to look more and more rat-like yeah. in that scene because he starts yeah. to go more and more manic. And he and rips his clothes off. So It well, almost yeah. looks like the rat in Lady and the Tramp. Like, they're they're regressing back to that animation style. You can see him, like, controlling his temper throughout the rest of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. and this is what he... Th- th- this is the place he could have gone to in all of those scenes. But he's like, no, I'm a mouse. I'm genteel. Oh, I'm a professor. I never picked up yeah. on that. Hmm. Yeah, but like this is him at his most enraged, you know? Yeah. Okay, Max, sorry. All right, so my final one that I have for you guys. Uh, 
so you guys probably know. Well, actually, you might not. The original title for this movie was going to be the title of the book series, Basil of Baker Street. But uh, the VP of Disney Animation, Peter Schneider, came in and said, no, that sounds too English. That sounds too aristocratic. Kids aren't going to get about that. So we changed the name to The Great Mouse Detective. And all of the animators got pissed because they thought that he was underestimating the intellect and the cultural awareness of children. So one of the animators put out a company-wide memo from quote-unquote the desk of Peter Schneider saying, hey folks, the Great Mouse Detective renaming is going so well, we've decided to retroactively rename a bunch of other Disney movies. So be sure to look out for the VHSs of The Wooden Boy Who Became Real, Color and Music, The Wonderful Elephant Who Could Really Fly, The Little Deer Who Grew Up, The Girl with the See-Through Shoes, The Girl in the Imaginary World, The Amazing Flying Children, Two Dogs Fall in Love, (laughs) Puppies Taken Away... (laughs) The boy who would be king, and a boy, a bear, and a big black cat. Peter Schneider got so pissed about somebody sending this fake memo out, he started a witch hunt across the entire company to find out which animator did it. Uh, Unfortunately for him, everyone else thought it was funny, and nobody snitched. Aw, that's amazing. I I knew about the existence of that memo, but I didn't know that he did the witch hunt about it. I love pettiness. God, I know I every time so much the fact the fact that Mickey's eyes are not two black dots and are in fact regular eyes is the result of another joke memo that people started sending out and I just love how petty all of these weird mid 50s 60s 70s and 80s art students are yeah, yeah. some people don't like, understand you don't want to piss you don't want to piss like off me. creatives <laughs> no no they you will really get don't. at you um should we maybe talk about the mystery? Yeah, I was going to say. I I could really only identify three or four scenes when Sherlock was actually solving stuff. The ballistics well, I, I appreciated. I was like, whoa, ballistics. That, yes. Literally. He's doing the whole thing. I think that's yeah, how you know. I understand them now. Like even, okay, watching <laughs> CSI, they do the exact same thing he yeah. did. Yeah. Except it's with a amazing. fancier microscope. Yeah, and like ballistics gel instead of pillows. Yeah. Now wait, hold up. I'm just thinking. They have guns. Yeah. Tiny mice. They guns. only have guns that they shoot. Mice they guns. have tiny toys, Mac. They have tiny manufacturers of tiny guns and tiny bullets. They make their own things, and then they also adapt human things. Yes. It's totally normal. I. I you know think I like of... the way the mystery. So this is a movie for children. Okay. Yes. So we have to. Yes take that into account i like the mystery because you're following basil throughout the movie and you see him find clues and analyze them you see in the beginning he's scientific they have the whole thing with the chemistry set and then the tobacco ash and then the gun so like you see his like studying or whatever and you see that he finds the footprints he finds the hat he uses the bloodhound he finds the list he sees the naked toys, so he's putting together clues. But then we as an audience are seeing Radigan's plan come together, but we are trying to piece together what he's actually doing because it doesn't get spelled out until the very end either. And I kind of like that it's like both we're trying to put it together while we're seeing Basil do it, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I think like we, we can see the clues. Mystery, like at a child level. 
and I still yeah, I didn't agree. figure it out. But I mean, I've seen it, but <laughs> it's like gears, uh, uniforms, and that's all you got to go off of. And then a robot. Yeah. Yeah. But you still don't know what they're doing. Like, yeah. the fact that he was like, I'm just going to replace the queen, that's wild. Until like, you don't expect it. What? Yeah. Automatons and robots are not the same. Oh, sorry, you're right. It's an automaton. Excuse me. No, but multiple Victorian people era. have said that, not just you. <laughs> but it's something that, I mean, watching it as a child, you don't fully expect. Like, you might think, like, they're going to dress as soldiers to sneak in this thing like and i just know that like the science that he did on the note i would not have followed as a kid like when he's like here it's salt water there's coal ash there's like sewer whatever like how he got to like it's a pub with near a water source and a sewer and like he like found all those things i wouldn't have followed that yeah, you that. know, the one sewer in Victorian you, London I was that like, goes out into the Thames. There's yeah. plenty of places where the sewer connects to the Thames. That's why it's full of shit. But we don't know how many pubs there are. Maybe there's only one seedy mouse pub. I mean, maybe in the East End. But I don't think you're supposed to follow it necessarily as a child. You're just supposed to be like, oh, he's smart. Okay. He knows where to Thank find Thank you things. for that. <laughs> but anyway, that's like Maddie, a, like genuine clue oh, finding, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think this is why, like, as kids, maybe we, uh, or just cartoons in general, are why we kind of favored dogs over cats. I feel like all of us kind of had that preference growing up. And I feel like a lot of movies were Mm -hmm. like, cats, bad, dogs, good. And I'm like, I want to be good. So I'm going to like dogs only. That's so interesting because, yeah, you have evil cats in Lady and the Tramp. Mm-hmm. You've got evil cats in. Well, I guess the aristocrats had evil in good cats. Yeah, we never. If you're looking specifically at us, I don't think we favored that movie. No, I think I've seen it twice in my life. Yeah. I did love the Aristocats, but I got like, it's probably one of the most, um. I guess terrifying or well I guess the the one of the only memories I have of my childhood is me being scolded by um our babysitter because I wanted to watch the Aristocats every day <laughs> and they told me um <laughs> that we could watch um the Aristocats later and I kept bugging them to be like let's watch the Aristocats let's watch the Aristocats and she was like I didn't tell you that we would watch the Aristocats I said we might and I, oh my god! Wow, <laughs> was this Wolf. the one near Grandma's house? No. Okay, they had different babysitters than our than we did. Everybody, Is this the one who lived off of range? I also lost, I think, my first tooth there, and I was like, I lost my tooth, and they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Oh no! But you guys are absolutely right on the whole like cats are villainized, dogs are like heroin. There was an entire movie called Cats versus Dogs that was like a spy thing. That was a you movie. Like, yeah, that was like I, outside of their time. Okay, well But historically I, Max right though. Like Yeah. People point that people pointed out on Tumblr, one of the main reasons why people tend to villainize cats is because they're not inherently obedient as a pet. They yeah. just sort of live. Can I live? But the notion of valuing obedience over anything else might not be a great... Yeah. Maybe. Also, aren't cats associated with witchcraft? 
I mean, yeah, there's whole thing? always like the they're Steal misunderstood. They're black witches hats. and all that, you know. Cats are evil, dogs are good, everybody knows it. <laughs> and cats are associated with femininity, where dogs are usually associated with masculinity. This is and such a weird part of like humanity. Why do we do this? Yeah. Why are, dog yeah. happy. Cat not happy. <laughs> Therefore, dog man, I, cat girl. Which is but the fact that dog obedient, like cat not, feels like it should be the opposite. <laughs> like talking from a patriarchal standpoint. Oh yeah. But, okay. Oh no no no! They they show dog as good because obedient and cat as bad because not obedient. Oh, so dogs okay. seek love, therefore good. Cat not seek love, therefore uh, rebellious and bad. But yet, Carrie of all of us probably maybe likes dogs the most. Maybe yes. Maddie could give her a run for her money. Do what? Yes. But Carrie's the one who had a stuffed cat that she would not go anywhere without for the longest time. Uh, yeah. I had Simba. And then your friend. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you had Simba. I had yeah, Big Dog. Carrie had Buttercup. Mac oh, had Hornsley. I had a Triceratops. Hornsley. <laughs> yeah. The best pet. Mm. <laughs> none of us will ever know maybe a triceratops would literally be the ideal yeah, pet but we don't know yeah exactly actually you know honestly if i had to have an extinct animal as a pet i'd probably want a protoceratops just because they are about the size of a sheep and they're herbivores so it wouldn't cost too much cute. to feed them protoceratops. that's nice that'd be cute yeah right but yeah the cat and dog thing perfectly exemplified in this movie toby good boy felicia asshat who gets eaten by royal guard yeah. dogs. That yeah. was sad. That was a little bit. Sure that yeah. she got eaten all the way. She definitely got beaten up. She got yeah. beaten guard dogs. Famous <laughs> guard dogs famously going easy on you. Uh, yeah, well. We don't I don't think we need to get into the monarchy of the mouse kingdom, but <laughs> it's just a little weird. <laughs> yeah. I literally wrote like Radigan declaring himself consort makes just as much sense as having a monarchy. I didn't realize honestly. it like Which when I was I... little that he's like, uh, I'm the queen's husband now. So yeah, listen Which, to what I said. Why wouldn't he just say like I'm in charge now? He's, I'm he's prime, trying I'm to like, like yeah, prime minister, the new right? so, advisor. Not... What, Maddie? By the way, when did they Radigan's start list prime about like, uh, um, I'm pretty 18... sure that was. No. 1716. After the English Civil War? Sick Charles II. I think they created a parliament. Charles I got beheaded. And then they had a time of Commonwealth or something. And then they had Charles II come back in. I just love... Okay. I love that (laughs) that he's dressed as a mouse. And... Like on the floor, on the floor recording, and then you just see like Tim's legs. So it's like a direct correlation with the movie. It's like tiny mouse on floor. Oh my god, Carrie didn't even pick human. that up. Totally. Just a giant human and a tiny little mouse. <laughs> and I'm like, what yes. gives, large creature? <laughs> does he know? Does he know that you did the makeup, or was he asleep when you did it? He just asked, "Where's the trash?" Okay. He just asked, "Where's the trash?" <laughs> Just normal. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> this is what I want. <laughs> this is a normal life. <laughs> Getting back into it, uh, I mean, Radican's big speech at the end of the the victory thing, but also all of his 
edicts that he had where it was like, we're going to heavily tax like the elderly, the infirmed children. And I was just standing there like, I didn't read objectivist libertarian off of Radigan, but I guess that's what we're playing with here. I mean, he just wants all the money. It's supposed to, it's just like a shortcut, a shorthand for evil for children. Yeah. You know? Taxes. So it's evil to overtly <laughs> tax people who are, I don't know, old or infirmed or not want to take care of them. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's yeah. a interesting commentary. Maybe it's just Vincent Price being just an absolute delight of a person recognizing that that's what he wants people to associate with evil. Because I've noticed Vincent Price, definitely not an uber capitalist guy. Most of his like super bad guys are uber capitalist in some way. I I don't know. At least the ones that I'm familiar with. I think he's just done lots of stuff. Vincent Price is amazing. Everyone should look up his life story. He's he's a great guy, and he was so excited about playing a Disney character. <sighs> I love that we're talking a lot about Radigan and not so much about the heroes of this thing. Eh. Well, we've hardly we talked, talked about, about Sherlock at all or Basil and Holmes. I just watched a Basil. video about like- Pesto, so I keep saying Basil. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they still made Basil an asshole in this. Yeah, Mood I agree. Swings. It was. It's Very- interesting. That they made him like so not into Olivia because Olivia is like the self insert character for children, and he's just like, "Ugh, this child, get away." Yeah, Olivia was originally going to be like a like an adult woman that uh, Dawson could have like a weird romance with, but then they switched it around just so that way kids could relate more. Yeah, good. That's better. I I liked this portrayal of Basil as Sherlock as like yeah yeah. And I like that one last thing like about that is I I like that they didn't make him nice for the children's movie. They kept the character and translated it for children, but they didn't change his whole personality. And it was still successful. Like, it's not like the kids hated him. The kids liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I especially love they actually based Dawson off of uh, one of the like original veteran animators just because he was a really nice guy. Oh, that's, that's cute. cute. He's just a big, like, comfortable dude with a mustache and a soft personality, and they were just kind of like, we're going to give homage to that. Uh. Maddie, please stop putting your nightmare face towards the screen. <laughs> She's trying to give you hints, Mac. Uh. You're just going over your head. <laughs> no! Stop! <laughs> no! Uh. Bad! Bad for all of the reasons. <laughs> Maddie wants us to do notes. Is there any all reason right. not to? Yeah, it's notes time. There's no... There's... Uh, wait, how long have we... Oh, God, 50 minutes. Uh, Maddie, start us off. Yeah. Um, so that toy is impossible in the beginning when yes. he makes a ballerina um, who moves just like a normal human. Yes. Or a normal yeah. human-mouse hybrid thing <laughs> cartoon an anthropomorphic yeah, mouse that's the one um and i said bullshit this isn't sherlock holmes carrie because carrie had a ban on sherlock holmes for a certain amount of time and this literally <laughs> is like sherlock holmes and his mouse in the cellar or whatever yeah this isn't sherlock a holmes sherlock is literally in this movie, movie. But it's not that's a Sherlock literally movie. Basil, it's a Basil movie. That's literally Basil Rathborn's voice as Sherlock. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even though he died like 20 years prior to this movie. <laughs> oh, 
I didn't know that. But Yeah, they uh, used recordings of him. Anyway, I said I wish there was like the automatic trust like wholesome trust that you'd have in like a a strange old man, you know, like Olivia. Yeah. And Dawson. I was like, that's so sweet. And I feel like it's not a thing that really exists today. Um, no. It shouldn't. It made me sad. Um, I mean, because of historically. I mean, it, I feel like it never existed, <laughs> but I wish it did. Um, okay, yes. And did Sherlock do the Rube Goldberg machines? Is that a thing? No, it's more of chemistry. Which, stuff. speaking of, I really wanted a music like montage over his science-ing. Yeah. yeah. Um, that would have been cool. That was missing. It was weird kind of seeing old cartoons have like drunkenness. Um, I feel like that was... I, I don't know if we've talked about it or if I've read something about it um, any, like elsewhere, but they used to depict a lot of like drinking, smoking, like gambling, like... Yeah. That kind of thing in yeah. old cartoons. It was definitely a more prevalent thing than today. They actually, yeah, they changed the Pinocchios. Like, they changed Pleasure Island and Pinocchio. They don't have beer there anymore. It's sarsaparilla. Yeah, right. In the new Pinocchio, the you mean? Smoke. Yeah, the new Pinocchio. There's no oh. beer. There's no smoking. There's none of the other stuff that they had in Pleasure Island. It was. I, I am interested. I'm going to watch it when I work sometime, but I'm. Really, I'm the curious. Tom Hanks one? It, yeah, it's Carrie. I um, the fact that I went through all of them feels I, I literally watched every live action now because of work, except for, it only exists because they want to keep the copyright. Yeah. Well, oh. I'm, I don't I know. I'm gonna watch it. it. Wow. Yeah, it's. I watched uh, them all except the I mean, ones with Johnny sense, Depp. That's crazy. And uh, well, Mulan Guillermo because... del Toro made a Pinocchio movie. And I don't know how the two can coexist, but like he made it and it's coming out. Yeah. There's always those. Is that the one that had like... that weird meme going around? I don't know. I don't think it's out yet. No, no, that's a different one. That's the one with uh, God, Polly Shore. What? That was like, but father, I wanna whatever that is. Okay, there are three Pinocchio movies coming out in quick succession. There's <laughs> the one from Disney, there's the one from Guillermo del Toro, and there's the one weird one with Polly Shore where Pinocchio just sounds very whiny and the animation is bad. Oh. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, Maddie. Um, Fidget had the high ground. Basil had Basil had no <laughs> chance. Fidget yep. was on top of yep. a pile of uh toys. And Basil Locks. had you always want no hope. Um, it's a primal urge. To I the high I laughed at ow my foot my only foot because um yes, had a peg leg. Um, uh, same. Candy Candido did a great job as fish. Yeah, yeah. I said that I the um I like the actress who played Olivia. Mm-hmm. Did you? Cool. <laughs> She's not I Scottish. I was like, the accent, and she I had is, a problem. She's Scottish. What? Is she? I that was an actual Scottish. was not bad, but maybe. Wait a minute. I looked at the IMDb one moment. We are going to cut this out later, but. I mean, we don't necessarily have to. When I heard her talking ideas. to her dad, I was like, these are dad, two very different accents. Yeah. Her dad is Alan Young, uh, who voiced Scrooge McDuck. 
Okay. Uh, she was born in Glasgow, Scotland, UK. Wow. Boom. Suzanne Polachek. Then maybe just as she's a child, it just sounded weird. Yeah, I thought it because sounded she was speaking... fine. I didn't. Yeah. It sounded very put on. I mean, like put upon, she probably was on. like acting, but I didn't it's think it was. It's probably child uh, acting. I didn't think it was that bad. All right. Okay. Um, Flavisham is a traitor. <laughs> He's the father, and he's he like, is? I'm going to give up my queen and country for my daughter. Wow. He does not love Mother England. Because the motherland. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because, you know, the queen would give up so much yeah, for him. For sure. Um, And I said I'd tap that when um Dawson came out in that, um you know, semen outfit. <laughs> outfit? <laughs> <laughs> thick. He's got a mustache. He's got an earring. He's wearing a midriff shirt. Yeah, cool like... eye patch. He's yeah, a bad boy. And then he gets um, yeah. drugged, and he's. Uh, my next note said, "Dawson is blowing this, but still would tap him." <laughs> <laughs> I really liked his like fake little walk when, when Basil was literally like do like I do. And he was like, okay. And he does that like young Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> Hands in the pockets and hunched over. It was do funny. octopi look up? I don't think they I think do. They, I mean, like, I don't know if octopi, like what their vision looks like, like what's their field of vision. They live. But would that be like, they had an octopus whose like head thing, like the droopy head thing was the nose. And I'm like, that seems Yeah. Weird. I didn't agree with that. They live in the water, so they look <laughs> in whatever direction they're facing. So say, it doesn't does matter. Does it actually make sense? They can't look up. They live in defiance of yeah. God. <laughs> okay. They're heathens. Um, is the lady, like the um, can-can dancer, singer, um, does she sing Candle on the Water? Uh, no. I'm going to Google I, that right now. I can tell you it no. It sounded like she did. I am. You know, I am seventy percent sure the answer is no. Anyway, that whole scene was very it was odd. weird. But I, I wrote I, what it was inappropriate. That's great. It could have been one weirder. whole woman, and that makes three. Uh, so <laughs> the PBS I know for this is going to be atrocious. Um, well, I guess. Do you want to just say what it is now? No. Well, we have to save it for later. Oh. Okay, we can save it for later. And uh, I think we went over the rest of my notes. Oh, wow. Uh, how can a mouse fight a rat? Real life answers only. <laughs> uh, by being smaller and faster and escaping. Running away? Like yeah. maybe it could only fight by escaping. It could never take a rat in a physical fight. If it was a fair fight, I don't think it could. No, I mean... No, you're right. Yeah. If you trapped him in a box, the rat would win. 100%. I mean, how many people have extensive experience with rats here? Not me. Just you. Me. How many rats have Just you me. personally killed, Carrie? Uh, no, didn't kill you them. Know. I didn't. But I just had to, <laughs> you know... Throw you yeah, under exactly. the bus. I was... Yeah. I didn't kill any myself. I took care <laughs> of a lot. I took care of like 40 rats. Yeah. Hey, hey Matt, how many rats have you taken care of? You, you stick to your friend <laughs> oh, no! Jimmy after him. No, Don't I didn't. I, I gave them food. I gave them alcohol. Oh, right. 
Um, and uh, Watson stayed Literally. with uh, Basil for the hotties. He was about to leave, and then a hottie showed up at the door and was like, I need help. I'm a damsel. And uh, yeah, I love that they kept yeah, him Yeah, yeah. Sherlock yeah. was like, hey, Literally, like, me. And he's like, <laughs> Okay. Sherlock's like, I need someone to inter like to be the interstitial person between me and these crazy ladies. Basil. It's Basil. <laughs> Sorry. That was Watson's Basil. function is to comfort the women when Sherlock didn't feel like dealing with them. Yeah. So All I like that this kept that real. Emotions. He's an essential worker. Especially because they were really, they were so awkward with each other at the end. Yeah. Until the like woman opened the door and then he was like. Because neither of them wanted to show their vulnerability yeah, both, about like, how they needed each other. Both of them wanted to hang out with each other, but neither of them was uh, woman enough <laughs> to come out and share their feelings. It's that um, Arrested Development joke. Have you seen the one? I think it's from season four, but it's just like the two men thought they were gay for each other because they'd never experienced true friendship or something. Oh. If it's I've from- only seen the, the season one time, but it was Job and Ben Stiller's character were like, they didn't recognize the feeling because that feeling was friendship oh. or whatever. Yeah. If it's season four, I don't recognize it. Yeah, me neither. But that's my notes. All righty. Uh, Carrie? Okay. Uh, what's the Diamond Jubilee? Like, what year is that? Looking it up. 60. Oh, yeah. No, they did say 60 in the movie. In- okay. Yeah. So 60. Yeah. I actually don't know that that's what? what a Diamond Jubilee is, but they said 60 in the movie. They did. Um, I noticed on the upper door, like the human door, it said 221 and not 221B, which I know Katie hates. Yay! I Yeah. <laughs> because the B would be inside. Like the front door would right. just have 221. But on the mouse door, it was 221 and a half. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. that Those That's a uh, addresses do exist in human life. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about what mystery the bullet would have solved. Like, I know that it involved Radigan, but, like, what? Uh, I think it's that Sherlock grabbed a criminal's gun and was comparing the bullet from a previous crime scene to the bullet that was in the gun. That's what I'm wondering. Like, what crime was that? Like, I know we don't have any way of knowing, but I'm just... We don't have any way of knowing. Curious. Okay, Mac, I know that there's a real Napoleon of crime. What's his name again? His name was Adam Worth. He is a nonviolent bank-robbing criminal from early Victorian era. And you can look him up in a book called The, Victor- the Napoleon of Crime which I by Ben McIntyre, which I highly encourage because it is a good read. Okay, cool. Uh, the They called him, the Professor Radigan that in one of the songs. So I was like, that's cool. Um, also isn't, so Moriarty is a professor as well. So that's another parallel. Um, they do that thing with the animation in this movie where like the backgrounds are like very flat. Like they look like they've already been like drawn and they just like reused or whatever. And then you can tell what's going to be interacted with because it's like different. It's like That's what's on the gel thing. Yeah. Like the one book on the shelf that doesn't have any like slightly lighter painting yeah i love disney background art i think sometimes that is almost more beautiful than the animation cells in front yeah but and this especially because i love london and victorian london and like i thought it was beautiful beautiful. Yeah. yeah yeah um 
I, I just really enjoyed Vincent Price's performance. Like when he's singing and he's, he's like, I'm going to be the supreme ruler. I'm like, oh my God. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those toys in that toy shop, like there is, it's no wonder the Victorians were so messed up. Like as a generation, <laughs> if those were the sorts of things that they played with as children, the clowns, that one doll, like they look up and see immediately. It's like literally looking down at them with like clawed hands. Like, yeah. And then the clowns. Victorian toys in general Ugh. and the automatons and the fact that they move is terrifying. Yeah. Did anybody notice uh, Dumbo? That's literally yes. my next note is Dumbo. Uh, Which actually jarred me because Dumbo takes place in the 1920s or 30s. So I was like, this is too early for that. I know it was like an in-joke, but it was still like, oh. It's just a circus elephant, Katie. Yeah, That's well, what they look like. It was weird. And they just didn't update any of the costume design when Dumbo was around. <laughs> um, I just really enjoy that Radigan took the time to write, compo- like, compose the music to, and then record a song for Basil. About how he beat him. And he's like, goodbye forever. I win. I'm the best. <laughs> yeah. I just really enjoyed that. Um, capes are always bad idea. Thank you. Thank Edna you, Edna Mode. Uh, and then I really liked Radigan's little blimp thing. I thought that that was fun. Like, what a fun way to travel. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And a I love Toby. Queen would absolutely... If I was a drag queen, I would absolutely have a blimp like that. Yes. <laughs> Just to, like, ride around it. And then I loved how Toby was, like, eavesdropping outside at the end. Oh, yeah. He's probably my favorite character. <laughs> he did the most. Obviously. Obviously. Is that it? Yep. Katie, hit us with your notes. We're going to do this real quick. All right. The logo was great. It made me really nostalgic. Um, for the Disney thing. But the logo for the movie, I hated because it just reminded me that it, they're calling it the Great Mouse Detective and not Basil of Baker Street. Henry Mancini did the music, and the only thing I know he did is the Pink Panther theme, and he wrote Moon River for Breakfast at Tiffany's. So he was oh, like okay. old school composer. Um, The box that Dawson and Olivia sit on is called Dr. Gaston's Liver Pills. And I was like, did they already know about Beauty and the Beast? Or did they just pick Gaston because it's a French thing? Or I don't know. They picked they picked Gaston because I think it was one of the animator's family members. Oh. But yeah, I was like, interesting. Um, he said elementary, my dear Dawson, twice, which I thought was interesting. I actually kind of loved that Radigan and Basil were like obsessed with each other in a very weird codependent way because like Basil has a portrait of Radigan centerpiece on his mantle. And then yeah. Radigan has that voodoo doll thing of basil on his mantle and i was like these two are obsessed with each other you know what they say katie the opposite of love is not hate it's indifference yeah so i just thought that was really funny um i love a dockyard layer i think that was really great um basically radigan kind of insinuated that he stole the crown jewels from the tower of london Right? Like, Mm -hmm. that was a successful heist. You look over and they did it. Which, we talked about that was the plot of the last thing we did with the (laughs) Great Muppet Caper. Or not the Great Muppet Caper. Muppets Most Wanted. Muppets Most Wanted. So, I just thought that was really funny that 
he was successful in his attempt to steal the crown jewels or some of them anyway. Um, I genuinely laughed when they're in the toy shop and Basil pops out and was like, assassins could be behind any toy. Be careful. Like, it was just funny. Um, I think some of the timing in this movie was very funny. It was very like when, um, oh, there's another line later. Oh, the click of the pocket watch when Radigan is talking to someone. And I don't know. I just think that the, the timing added some comedy to this movie that I liked a lot. They were so obvious they didn't belong in that bar. <laughs> I was like, I know that's the comedy of it, but it was just ridiculous. Um, Radigan really was clever, like figuring out that Basil had found the note so he could use that to his advantage to create this welcome party. Like that was extremely clever. Yes. But I also was like, so he's 15 minutes late. So you had like, did he pre-plan the song? Like in case he was late or did he very quickly record some? Like, I don't know. That timing made me laugh a lot. Yeah. Um, the... Trap is the definition of overkill, <laughs> which is funny. Um, why was the queen just alone in her bedroom? Like, wouldn't she have anyone around? Like, and She's then the, the guards, the guards are wants. let directly into her bedroom. I don't know. Um, I love that the selfie that they took, and I wish we could have seen it. Oh my god, yeah, um, that was cute. The voice changer for the automaton was interesting because why wouldn't it change? It changed the accent. So it went from a Scottish man to an English woman, which I was like, I don't, um, it's I don't know queen that that's voice, possible. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just put in like um, a queen voice translator. Yeah. When they're flying around, they definitely pass by the statue of Lord Nelson. And I thought that was great. Oh. Um, in Trafalgar Square. <laughs> of course. You would and then <laughs> actually my last note we didn't cover is that um, Big Ben slash the Elizabeth Tower just looked awfully tall. I don't think it's that tall, but then again, I'm not a mouse, so yeah, they're mice. It would, but when they're looking down at it, it's like they're seeing the map version of London, and I was like, no, that's not what you would see. But I'm not a mouse, so yeah, yeah, that's all my notes. Speak to their experience. All right, I'm gonna get through mine really quickly. One, I actually found Flaversham's relationship with his daughter incredibly endearing. Two, I don't know if being small, like mouse size, would make like just the grime of Victorian London seem larger or smaller by comparison. But I just think that would be sort of interesting. Like Dawson finds Olivia in an old boot. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They mentioned at some point, uh, I forget what the landlady's name was in this version. Mrs. Judson. Miss Judson. Uh, She offered everybody cheese crumpets. Crumpets are cookies. I'm not going to immediately say that cookies can't be good with cheese, but I'm not sure I'm on board with them. Next. Uh, um, we got to address it. Basil's disguise as he comes back into his home is just a very stereotypical Ooh. Asian costume, and it wouldn't be an 80s movie without disturbing Asian stereotypes. Yeah. Now, next. Toby and Felicia, the dog and the cat, are both voiced by Frank Welker who we've discussed beforehand because he is both Scooby-Doo and Fred. What? Oh my god. Yep. He was both of the animals in this movie, and he's still going today. Nice. Sorry I forgot your name when we did the Scooby-Doo podcast. Aw. Yeah. Well, now you're redeemed. All right, next. Uh, There was no story reason to drug Dawson. He got drugged, and then he danced on stage. 
uh, with the dancer, who, by the way, they originally wanted Madonna. That's just a fun fact. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would that could have been weirder. Michael Eisner also very briefly thought, what if we brought Michael Jackson in to be slightly adversarial towards him, sing a song and leave? Thankfully, everybody else in the room was sane and oh. said no. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everyone else in the uh, room. Uh, next up, Radigan. Okay, so Radigan knew that Basil was going to get there. And it seemed like he was going to have a very clever plan. But his plan was just have a surprise party and have overwhelming group of uh, overwhelming number of people to just trap him with. Yeah. That's, it worked. Yeah. It did work, I guess. And finally, Radigan's trap that he had Basil in just reminded me so much of that patent of an American mousetrap, which was just a trigger that shot the mouse uh-huh. if it touched the cheese. Oh. That's terrifying. It is terrifying, but that's what that reminds me of. Uh, Katie, why don't you depress us all with the PBS for this movie? It's actually, I don't know if it's as bad as you think. If we count the singer and the barmaid. Yeah, they have lines and personality. The singer has a whole song, and then the barmaid has, shows up twice, like, first to talk to them, and then again later and talks to the... They don't have names. Well, then, if they don't have names, well, then, also, I have, I'm counting all of the goons as one. Because they kind of have random lines, but only one of them gets a name and he dies right away. <laughs> That's fair. So what if so we there's... do the, the barmaid and the singer lady as one? Okay. Then it's uh, six to four. Okay. So it's not terrible. Huh. You've got Olivia, Mrs. Judson, and the queen, and then the two women in the bar, and then Radigan, Basil, Dawson, counting... Fidget, Flaversham, Goons. I guess if we're counting Toby and Felicia, that's just one more in what each about, pile. Um, yeah. yeah. Sherlock and uh, Holmes. Sorry. Sherlock Holmes. I was going to say Sherlock and Holmes. Watson. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't count them, really, because we I don't guess, technically yeah. know who they are. And we don't see them. We just see, like, We just legs. see the shadow. But, uh, yeah. Uh, all righty. Well, while we're on that note, Katie, what are your stabs and stars? Uh, Eight and eight. I think the mystery is good. I think he followed the clues. It's a children's movie. It wasn't too complicated. I really like the movie. I do feel it's disjointed. The four directors make sense. So, yeah. That's where I'm at. All right. Carrie? Uh, I'm going to go with 6.5 stabs, 7 stars. Um, I'm going to copy Katie for the same reasons that uh, she said. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And ultimately, mine come down to seven and seven nice all right so that's great mouse detective uh everybody if you'd like to join us for next time uh we're going back to 2006 to watch the prestige should be pretty interesting uh if you have any comments questions (laughs) concerns or suggestions uh feel free to email us at mostly murder but sometimes not at gmail.com we're available across the plethora of social media as mostly murder pod you can go ahead and visit our website at mostly murder but sometimes not.com and thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.